Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. One, two, vamos! <laughs> Hi, it's Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and I'm joined today with my co-hosts. Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. And today we're delighted and feeling empowered to bring you a new series called My Body, My Story. And our first guest today is someone who we've worked with and is very dear to us. And we're really excited that you are here today. Hello, welcome, Marsha. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Work to support women's issues is really critical to me. So I'm delighted to spend time with you and thinking through and advocating for women's rights. We've been so pleased to get to know people across the whole state of Massachusetts over the past two years working to pass the Roe Act. And we've of course continued over the summer and grown into a feminist action team. And something that came up is how one strategy is to really continue the work of reducing the stigma of talking about abortion. And so the brainstorm of just spending time talking about our own experiences and our own stories rose up to the top of the list. And so uh, it's really going to be an interesting exploration. And I guess before we even talk about uh, stories, it'd be interesting to know just what drew you to get involved with the Roe Act? Well, I've been involved in choice issues before Roe versus Wade. I'm what you spoke about another um, interviewee being a septuagenarian. And I thought, oh my God, I'm a septuagenarian, which is <laughs> accurate. I've been involved in abortion rights issues, and that's what it was in the late 60s, since I, I think my earliest efforts were in 1968, 1969. So um, it just feels like a continuation. And as I've said before, those of us who did this work back then dropped the ball by not continuing to tell these stories. It's imperative that people understand what it was like then. And um, I'm hoping that the crisis that the Supreme Court's rulings have put us to will be sufficient to encourage women to stand up and make a lot of noise. We won't go back. So, that's, that's my reason for being here. That's my core value. And uh, I think if women don't have reproductive control of their lives, they don't have lives. So well said. And you know, when you talk about turning back the, the memory clock to the 60s, right? We're thinking of a really interesting contrast in where we are today. You know, rock and roll is on the radio. People are wearing fun colored clothing. There's a lot of talk about freedom and thinking about, you know, the civil rights movement is, feels like maybe it's advancing a little bit. People are still held back, but there's a lot of energy and people are taking to the streets in ways that they have in the past four years under the Trump regime presidency, as you wish to call it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some similarities, I think, in activism. But yeah. a really big difference is today, we've got 50 years under our belts of, of Roe versus Wade and of laws that were resting on the shoulders of having a constitutional right to access abortion. Yeah. So yeah. as unpleasant as it is to think about turning back the hands of time, we do want to start today with what it's like being in the 60s and being a woman and getting pregnant 
And you know, what does the landscape look like? Because we may have to face that soon. So I've been thinking since I agreed to do this interview about who was I back in those days. So in 1964, in the summer of 1964, I became pregnant and I am thinking about the fact that I had no real sex education. So the idea of my getting pregnant, even though I knew, I knew for sure that's what happens, it wasn't, it wasn't in my consciousness. I didn't use any contraception. And I am trying to forgive that young woman who I carry in my head, and at the same time be proud of her for being able to make the decision. I didn't know what my future would be. I didn't understand what it would be like to be a woman in the world. But apparently, I knew that I wanted to be there. So I had an illegal abortion in 1964. It was a classic back alley abortion. Mm. Um, my then boyfriend uh, was able to come up with the $500. We met with a person who acted as the intermediary between us and the person who performed the procedure who was not a doctor, not a nurse, a woman who I believe was an immigrant. And my fantasy says that she probably was a midwife in some capacity. The um, man who uh, connected us with her said to us in the car one day, well, if you don't wanna do this, I mean, she, we could get her to move to Florida and, you know, until she starts to show, she could be earning some money with other men. Um, Jesus. I, yeah, that's, that's what it was like. Then. Um, and so I went to this woman's apartment, I think, in the town where I grew up and um, it wasn't a coat hanger, but it was an instrument that was introduced into my cervix. And I had horrible cramps for about 48 hours and somehow managed not to go to my parents' house where I was then living. Um, missed a few days of my brand new job, which I had started only maybe two weeks prior. All of that was very traumatic. And as I'm telling it to you, I, I feel the sense of my 19 year old self, just knowing I had to do this. That's what I call up as the memory, but thinking of the details of it, Nobody should have this happen. And it happens to you. So one of the things that I've thought about is how imperative it is 
that now we talk about sex ed and how important it is to have that conversation throughout our lives early on when kids can begin to understand it. I just, you know, my, my head was not connected to my body. And, and I'm hoping and believe in fact that education for this lets people be more in tune with themselves. And also nice girls didn't do what I was doing. Uh, back then, not just that I didn't plan and have contraception, but I, I, I didn't acknowledge it. I didn't acknowledge it to myself on some level because nice girls didn't do that. I was a nice girl. I went to college. I blah, blah, blah. blah. So that was that experience. And I'm open to anybody who wants to ask me about that. I had another abortion experience later uh, when I was older and married um, that I'm prepared also to talk about. But if it seems like an appropriate moment for you to inquire, I'm open to that. Let's talk a little bit about, about the first experience you had, Karen. Did you have a network of women friends that you could um, confide in? Uh, were, you, were you handling this emotionally with a, a few dedicated people? Were you alone? I was basically alone, except for the boyfriend who um, was able to come up with the money. I, <clears throat> my friendships, my intense friendships over my long life have been something that I acquired a few years later, later in college and um, that sort of time. But I didn't have close women friends who I could or did turn to. Did young women talk about this at school, at college? In, yes, in, in, in yes, when people, when, when people got pregnant and they, then um, we didn't talk about using contraception. I don't remember that kind of a conversation. I do remember some people, a couple of people who got pregnant and who had the wherewithal to go to Puerto Rico. I don't know whether they in fact went to Puerto Rico or that was part of um, the information. I know early on in the women's movement, but later than that time in my life, there was a group um, out of Chicago called Jane who helped women. Um, and there was that network. And my friend Anne, who you will also interview, was familiar with that and worked with that group. I want to go back to, to some of what you described. And I'm sorry, because it is really a traumatic experience. And I can see when you're telling the story and I can hear in your voice you know, when you're 19 years old, uh, people don't want to go to the dentist for a regular checkup, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, people, even when they're fully grown up, don't want to go just for regular physicals. Uh, the idea, though, of, as you said, going to a procedure that you know is not at a doctor's office, that you know is in like a non-medical setting with someone who you've never met, 
that that is very frightening. And I think it's important for people to think about because like right now in Texas, if you can't get an abortion in your state and you have to go somewhere else, um, we're, we're saying this is happening right now in our country, right now. And so I really appreciate your being open to talking about something very difficult because it paints a better picture than we may be seeing in you know mass media right now where people are not really talking about the consequences. Um, I also wanna go back to the, the connection you found to that man, that intermediary man, because the way he spoke uh, about you, to you and around you, to your boyfriend, I think it does help paint a picture of what life is like when abortion's not legal and men control women's bodies whether it's through prostitution or by, in theory, helping a man find access to an abortion for the woman who he is pregnant with. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can share a little bit at that time, you know, did you feel like you could have managed it without your boyfriend? No, I had no way. He had a connection and I, you know, with two little pieces that I can, describe, I can only guess, it's a pretty educated guess, that he had a connection through someone who, and this was organized crime, I felt. You know, those were the people who were providing mm -hmm. access. Um, and later, that seemed to be what, what had happened. And when I think about his suggesting that I could be a prostitute for a couple of months, that sort of reaffirms the um, idea that it was probably a crime syndicate that was involved in this. It does, and I, I just wanted to press on that because I'm thinking, my heart is very full for you, but I'm also thinking about the woman who performed the procedure because as you said, she doesn't sound like she has a lot of power and control in the situation either. Um, so it may have cost $500, but this is not a person who sounds like they're well set up with a, a clear medical office. So it seems like, again, you have, you have another woman impacted by something being illegal. So the provider is also not really safe in this experience. And draw the parallel with the people who are subjected to the Texas law. I mean, those are the people who will suffer. On the flip side, and before we go on to you know turn the clock forward a little bit, um, you were incredibly brave. You were incredibly brave, and you did do what you needed to do to get the resources to save yourself. You did, and and it must be challenging to recognize that you have the strength to do it, but to be in a society that really won't let you be proud of it. So like now we've got shout your abortion campaign where people are, you know, hey, I got an abortion. I felt like getting one, I got one. And then, you know, my to not have the vocabulary or place to even say, okay, you know, that was really scary and I did it, but to have to keep that inside, that seems well, like it's you know, an impact. I, I have to say, I've, I, I can't say never because that's not a good word, but I, I don't recall having feelings of shame I, I did not feel shame. I felt that this was something I had to do. And I have not looked back on that as something that was shameful. My more fully realized self 
credits that 19 year old and finds love for her and not shame for her being able to demand that this is, this, my life is gonna go forward in a different way. I mean, that high school boyfriend offered to marry me and he wanted to marry me and I didn't wanna marry him. I didn't see the life that, this, that I would have, that I was hoping to choose, anticipating. So I want girls and women to know that yes, it's difficult in the moment, but focus on your ability to control your own life. And that's what's critical here. Yeah. I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah, you were, you were, some, something was going on in your mind that said, I will survive this. I'll figure yeah. it out. And you did, and you went on. Yes. Yeah, you're, yeah. Yeah. you're brave. You're very brave. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, it's a time of life um, and a, a, a time of my life in particular where I can look back and think about who I was um, at different stages in my life. And, you know, I, I feel like I've been a political activist for my whole life. And that feels like all the other things I've done, all my professional work, my different careers, but, you know, we got to pay our rent for our time on the planet. And it's not just for me that I tell this story. It's for everyone, anyone who may hear it and the information that it imparts. Beautiful. Thanks. Um, we want to keep talking. So we want to invite you to come back. Okay. Um, you have us on the edge of our seats. Um, <laughs> and and so we're glued, um, but thank you for spending this time with us uh, today. And we will continue to uh, look forward to listening to kind of what happens next. Yeah, thanks. Thank thanks you for taking the time to put this together. And thanks for a comfortable environment in which to do it. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 